Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Geek Vibes Interview. Uh, I've got my friend Dom here, and we're fixing to speak with uh, Bill Oberst, Jr. Uh, so give me one second. I'll get him on the line, and uh, Dom, have fun. All right, all right. And, yeah, uh, Mr. Oberst, Oberst, is that Jr. you? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, this is me. And tell me who I'm Who is this? Ah, uh, this is yeah, Dom. This is Dom. Is it D-O-N or D-O-M? I'm sorry, Clint didn't give me a name for the host. I just want to make sure Are I got it right. Don like, Don like Donald? <laughs> no, Dom, Dominique. Oh, Dominique, Dom. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, we're here with Bill Oberst Jr. and, you know, Emmy Award-winning actor. Uh, and you've seen him in recently, Three from Hell. Uh, he's been in... Take This Lollipop, A Haunting in Salem, uh, Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies, and I have the privilege of seeing uh, one of the most recent ones, uh, Devil's Junction, Handy Danny's Revenge, and uh, I appreciate your time. Dom, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. I am a geek, so I love the title of your show. <laughs> um, so it's it's really crazy, and looking at your... Uh, filmography that I feel like there's not many actors that can say that their filmography is hell over 50 movies and yours is close to 200 that I've seen. What, uh, well, how'd you, how'd you get the start? What, what in your, you know, your early, early years in life, you know, led you to want to pursue an acting career? The same as everybody else that I have ever met who's in the arts, who's any good. Everybody I've ever met who's any good has had a really miserable childhood. In some way. I don't mean completely miserable. But there's only something in the childhood that made them a misfit, and a misfit is what makes a good creative person. You know, whether they're a host or a writer or an actor. And in my case, let's see what I had going on. I had bad acne from a very, very early age. I'm like really chronic horrible acne to the point that people would say, you know, oh, what's wrong? what happened to your face? Way beyond pizza face. Um, I was a fat kid. Where in, my, in my generation, there weren't a lot of large people around. That's changed in America. But I was a big boy, like a size 36 waist in the sixth grade. Uh, I was a straight-A student because I really loved books. Um, I didn't know how to play football. So I was a fat kid, smart kid, ugly kid, and sissy kid all in one kid. And when you're that, you know, unpopular, you can react either by shrinking away or finding something that you can do. And thank God my grandmother, she's a big believer that everybody had a talent. She said, God gives you one thing you can do better than anybody else. One. And so I found out I could change my voice and sound like other people, and that made the kids stop picking on me. So I, I learned an equation which is taking me through life, and that is if you entertain people, they will not hit you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah so I, uh, my whole career, if you scratch the surface with any performer, if they're honest, they'll tell you really what they're saying to people is, please like me and please don't hit me. Yeah, and I think 
at least myself can kind of relate to that. Uh, you know, I grew up in a different, you know, era, but, you know, mo the things repeat themselves. And I, I, I was the same way, you know, I got picked on here and there. And uh, I, at one point, wanted to be a comedian, so I did the same thing. I tried to change my voice. And, you know, when I childhood, Jim Carrey was big, so I tried to do impressions from The Mask. And then later mm -hmm. on, I realized I'm really not that funny of a person, so I kind of changed my trajectory. But, no, I totally get that. Um, was there anything early on that, um, like an earlier um, role that, kind of made you realize that this is solidifies what you want to do. Yeah. High school drama. Again, so stereotypical and so cliche, but I was a drama kid cause that's a place I could go where you could be with people who didn't think you were weird. And uh, it was some high school play. I don't remember the title of it, but I remember my character was a stereotypical villain and the audience really liked it and they hooted it. And then I, I spread the ham all over the place, you know. I really made it big, and the bigger I made it, the more they liked it. And then afterwards, people who wouldn't talk to me before were like, hey, Billy, you know, hey, come sit with us at lunch. And I was like, damn, really? Uh, this is all you have to do? You just got to entertain them, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, and and from that point on, I realized that this is what I wanted to do. What I didn't realize, I always loved horror, always was a big horror fan. But on stage, I did 14 years on stage. That's how I made my living for 14 years playing historical characters before I ever did a film. And what I didn't realize was that once I got into movies, that uh, I would gravitate toward horror, and that's where I'd make my money. Um, because my face apparently says, I'm going to kill you. I didn't know that, <laughs> but the camera thinks it does. And I, and I do think that what helps you, too, is that um, from things that I've seen, with you in it is you have a very distinct voice and it's almost a, um, it's like a calming demanding voice that I think helps you stand out from the crowd. And I appreciate you saying I, that Dom. I really do. Cause I, yeah. I, I, I try, I try for that. I think the voice is important. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I do. And some, I feel the same way. I do think that like, you know, if someone's voice, you know, can, outlast, you know, uh, a picture. If, if, you know, we were expo if we were going to go to a place where there was no, no more uh, physical acting and it was just voices, yours yeah. is a voice that is going to last. I thank you for that. And I, I have always thought that if someone was going to hurt you, it's much more frightening if they speak gently to you right. than if they scream. Um, yeah. The worst kind of director is one who could say, "You're supposed to be angry, and you're not angry." And it's like there's enough, there's enough anger in my face and my actions that I, I don't need to also scream at you. It's more powerful when you don't scream, when you're very, very gentle, uh, and and that's when the person knows, okay, I'm gonna die. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So if you're on the street, like a crowded street in L.A. or New York or something, and somebody comes up behind you, and you're just right in your ear and whispers, can I speak to you for a minute? That's like, no! <laughs> what, what yeah, yeah. They're screaming, and you're like, oh, they're crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I saw that your earlier, um, when you were doing theater, you had a, a few one-man shows. How did, yep. you know, doing 
one man shows prepare you for uh, film? Well, I started doing one man shows because nobody would hire me. And um, I come from a retail family, and my dad just started his own business. And I thought, hell, if nobody will hire me, I'll hire myself. So I started doing Mark Twain, which was a really durable show. A lot of guys were doing Twain. And so I did Twain. And then I, I also, I'm a big uh, Kennedy fan, JFK, and so I did JFK. And, um, yeah, I just returns these historical characters. What it does is it gives you confidence because when you do thousands of performances and it's just you on stage – you're prepared for anything that could go wrong, and you have to, if the audience is bored, it's your job to figure out why. And you kind of get a sixth sense of, like, what the audience is feeling. So right. when you go on set, of course, you don't have the audience, but what you do have is your uh, crew. And I always tell younger actors who ask for any advice, I'm like, watch the crew, especially the camera crew. If you can get the camera crew after a take under their breath to say, damn, then you're doing the right thing. <laughs> if they're pulling out their phones immediately and checking it, if they don't even if they don't say something like "nice," you know, then you ought to think of, rethink what you're doing. Uh, okay. Because yeah, the confidence mm-hmm. of just knowing that okay, if this doesn't work, I'm going to make an ass of myself. I know I'm going to fail, but if this doesn't work, I can try something else, and I'm still going to be on my feet. It's not the end of the world. Right. I mean, I remember a director once that said uh, he. He was a really good director and a good film, and he asked me to do a scene a certain way. I didn't want to do it that way. I had my own idea. So um, I said, you know, here's my idea. And he said, okay, all right, let's try it. Let's do it. Take your way. So we did it. And he said, Bill, that was an incredibly bold choice, and I respect you for making it. I hate it, and I never want to see it again. So now let's do it my way. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I got it because, <laughs> you know, you, you acknowledge that my way was not a good way. I did that, and now, and then the take we did after that, his way was really good because, you know, you say it's, you know, it's, it, it's not the end of the world. You fail, you get up, you do it again. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and I feel like with the the film, in film, that there, there should be some collaboratory efforts that you know if you're the actor and you read the script and you you might have an insight to the character that the writer or director might not see and yeah if you if it works and you know kudos to you and then if you're like hey it didn't work at least you let me try that's right yeah yeah it is collaboration they want you to bring something and you just have to not be afraid to bring it and to have it go wrong this whole business is especially in indie horror, man. I mean, you know, our budgets are you know, sometimes great and sometimes they ain't so great. And the effects right. sometimes don't come off. And you just got to have a confidence that, all right, I'm going to make this entertaining for the audience no matter what. Even if the movie is called The the Pumping Ripped Out Heart and they forgot to bring the heart, <laughs> uh, you, you, you're still you're just going to push it and make it entertaining. <laughs> Do you think, because uh, I'm I'm from the South as well, do you think that the being from the South has kind of um, helped your work ethic as far? Because, I mean, like I said, not many actors have a catalog that's as long as yours. So do you think that the, the work ethic coming up from, like, like, I mean, the South has always been kind of a humble place where from sure. hardworking people. Do you think that it's helped your work ethic any? Absolutely. My people are poor. 
Um, I called us poor white trash in an interview once. Oh Lord, I never heard the end of that. <laughs> my daddy, my daddy was like, we were poor white, we were never trash, but poor farm people who never had anything and worked for everything that they had. And that's what I was taught was, um, my father had a say, he's in a retail business and they had like, you know, showcases and he would always tell us when we worked there and his employees, we're just standing around. He put a Windex in front of us with paper towels and he'd say, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. And so that's like the mantra for work is if you're up, your feet on the floor, get to work, find something. And in this business, like I'm self-employed, an actor is really a small business. So, yeah, I I do think that work ethic has helped. And coming from poor people, you appreciate, you know, anything that you get, you appreciate it. And when you are on the red carpet or something, it's it's like, wow, you know, I, I know this isn't the real world. I'm just visiting it for a moment. Right. Uh, so how, how have you uh, stayed humble? I don't know if I am humble, but uh, <laughs> um, work, working in indie movies will make you humble. Because, you know, like I say, the filming conditions are, you know, they can run the gamut from having kale and a breakfast omelet on the set to, right. you know, three guys and a camera and you and blood, and they don't even have permission to be there. So you just... You know, you realize that your job is to entertain people and to make them happy. I think of myself as a servant, and that always helps. Right. I'm like, you know, right. somebody has, somebody's had a hard day. They're flipping through things to watch, and they look, and they say, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, I'm, you know, I'm serving them. My job is to make them say, you know what, life's okay, because I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and, and, and I do think with you that that's a, a, a plus that, since your your filmography is extensive, that you can catch uh, many different eyes and ears compared to some others who, you know, instead of trying to work, they're just looking for the giant paycheck, which may come once every couple of years, and it may serve them well, but you know, as as a working person, I like I, you. I feel like. You do want to be constant because the constant will get you into the bigger role than, you know, passing up on things that you think are possibly beneath you. And That's I exactly say, right. You, yeah, you sort yeah. of like people like, oh, don't, you know, don't do, we, you know, don't do this movie because it's too small or it's too weird. Or, and wait, you wait, 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 and then in three years you might get to, I don't want to wait three years. I want to work. I just want to have fun and do my craft. And if something big comes, great. But if something big doesn't come, I've had a really, really good working life and been lucky enough to make a few people happy and smile and make life seem a little easier. That's all it's about. Yeah. Um, Is there a, uh, is there a specific character that uh, sticks out in your head that you're like, you know, this is, the one I kind of want to hang my hat on or the one that I hope people remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there is one, it was on television, not on film is on criminal minds where I played a, um, a product of incest. It was a serial killer. Of course. Uh, one of the three that are still at large on criminal minds. I never got caught. Adrian Barbeau was my mother and Tobin Bell was my father. So they fooled their brother and sister, and they fooled around, and then I'm the product of that years later. And um, uh, the the, make, the makeup artist um, had worked for Tarantino. In fact, he played the groom in the original Kill Bill. 
and he did all of Tarantino's makeup. So Chris was like, let's make this character an homage to Lon Chaney, kind of the wounded monster. So we gave him a really big ear, which he borrowed from Pepper on American Horror Story that he was working on at the time. And he said, don't tell anybody I brought you Pepper's ear. And we gave him an overhanging brow and kind of a stooped posture and um, just a very strange, almost pitiful-looking character. And he, he did kill people. He did heinous things. But he was kind of a wounded, childlike monster. And I really, really liked that. So I guess that's the character that I played that's most typified that archetype of the wounded monster that I love. Um, Karloff as Frankenstein had that. The original werewolf portrayals had it. I love the idea of And Phantom of the Opera also had it in the right. original right like the, the monster that yeah they were born a little weird but society made him even weirder by shunning them right. and so so right. then they're looking back at society and saying you want to see a monster i'll show you one man yeah that's deep <laughs> people ought to be careful about how they treat people who are different especially today you know especially today yeah. but throughout, yeah. the, throughout the genre of horror there are these monsters that society helps to create and to further look at the whole thing, uh, human oddities, you know, who used to be called freaks. They they were freaks because people called them freaks and stared at them. And, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you make someone an object of your derision? Yeah, and I I, I think that's definitely why – part of why people like myself like the the horror genre because that is sometimes the case. It's, you know, not just uh, a violent movie. There's usually some psychology into how this person was created, and in certain instances it is like that, you know. um, I think that's one of the big things with, like, this recent release of Joker is that it takes a look at, this person who was kind of shunned from society and beaten down and then every person, you know, whether people want to realize it or not, has a breaking point and everybody's breaking point is different. And everybody's wounded. So everybody's carrying around this profound sorrow that you can't see, but everybody's got some sorrow that they're carrying with them their life on top of, the existential sorrow of our lives being so damn short. So yeah. it doesn't take it doesn't take much to be kind to somebody else and really change their day. I'm actually a big Disney freak. I love Disney. I go to Disney every chance I get. And that's <laughs> the great thing about it. the whole the whole culture there is, um, you know, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Have a magical day. I mean, I know it sounds right. silly, but it doesn't take much to just lift somebody up out of the daily crap and go. Life is not. Horrible, and other people are not obstacles. They're my brothers and they're my sisters. Right. This wouldn't make a good horror um, movie, but it <laughs> makes for good real life. Do you um? Is there does there any time that you um like ever think about going back to theater or take like taking a break from film? Like you know, I'm gonna go back and relive you know the stage. Yeah, um, I started. Three years ago, I contacted the family of Ray Bradbury after he died, and I started talking to them about doing a one-man show playing Ray, because I'd already toured in one of his short story adaptations as a solo show. Anyway, so after negotiation, we got the rights to do it. They debuted it in New York and L.A. last year, and now I'm starting to tour with it. 
playing Bradbury on stage. And so that ties together the, the theater that I love. Uh, and also Bradbury wrote some fantastic horror and science fiction. So bring that all together on the stage. I, I really love doing it. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, there's a certain, like, a visceral aspect of the, the theater that you don't get from film, whether it's for you as an actor or me as, you know, uh, a patron watching it because you do get to kind of see like a raw emotion that you can't hide when, uh, during a, uh, a play because if you, if you, the actor messes up, they have to ad lib and make it as real as possible. And they really want to dive into the emotion because they know that right, this is live and I can't, uh, I can't fake it because there's no takes. I have to do it right here, right now. Yep, and you're with strangers in the dark, and there's something that's electric about that. We don't hardly ever get with strangers in the dark anymore. I mean, you know, more than one or two at a time. I don't know what your deal is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we don't watch movies. I mean, I got Avengers and big stuff, but the movies I make, they're never going to go to the theater. Uh, they're watched individually, and so theater's about the only place left that we routinely get together with a group of people we never met before, turn off the lights and dive into some emotion. Right. Man, yeah, that's that's very true. I have thought of it like that. Uh so recently uh I I saw you in in Three from Hell and it had, you know, I, I guess I'm not really sure what the the uh what makes it to the point where they decide that they're only going to release a movie for, you know, a few days, you know, compared to a 90 day release, but I did get a chance to see it. And shortly after I uh, got to see you star in uh, Devil's Junction. Um, and they're, and they're both great. And, and it's, and it's crazy that like the horror genre has such a, a range from being, you know, uh, I guess the storytelling you have, like a one is, you know, a, a family who's like, you know, we're doing our thing and no one can tell us what to do because we think society is crazy. And the other one is more of a, uh, I guess it's a more of a fantasy aspect with like, you know, mysticism and magic and whatnot. Um, is there a certain, uh, Range a certain on the spectrum of horror. The, is there a certain uh, place on that that line that you like to like uh, more than the other? Yeah, I like psychological horror more than straight out violence. Um, right. I'm I'm much more enjoy um, playing as a character, playing with people um, in their minds and enjoying that, and and bringing fear about that way rather than just you know, extreme violence. Yeah. For me, personally. And I like to play, too. I mean, uh, you know, I guess all performers and hosts and things have a kid in them. So when I was right. doing um, Devil's, Devil's Junction, they were like, well, you know, it stars the the real star is this, these ventriloquist dummies. So it's like, oh, awesome. You know, so I just like, when I'm in the scene with Andy Dandy, who's the little puppet I have, hell, I give the scene yeah. to Andy. I say, it, Andy, it's your scene, man. You go for it. <laughs> It was fun, and if you um, if you inject like play and fun 
and put it alongside death. It's really weird and it's disconcerting to people. Yeah. But you always have to be like, Ugh. so yeah, it was really fun. Like, um, in, in, in uh, the devil's junction, we do like this mock kid show and people get their hands chopped off and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's really great. Like, Oh, I'm so sorry, but you lose. And Andy Dandy was like, yeah. And now let's give you your prize. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's yeah, what makes great. it uh, what it is. It kind of gives you more of that eerie feeling because, like you said, like with the death and then, you know, Dandy is kind of, it, yeah, like the, the voice and the, the animation of, like, him being completely okay with it is supposed to happen, and it kind of <laughs> gives you that, like, oh, man, this is <laughs> this is grim. Yeah, like, he's like, he's a doll, and he wants to kill you. Well, I mean, you know, that's the magic of Chucky, but... Yeah, I, I I love like stuffed animals and things that might have malevolent intent. That's really yeah. frightening. Yeah, because the, the I think you know I think most people who grew up uh, at least in probably your generation and my generation, because you know uh, my generation when we had goosebumps and there was um, Slappy and he was eventually yeah. just a dummy, and there've always been some. They always had that weird look of. Their eyes are following me. Possibly, they, their their expressions are creepy, and yeah, so it just adds another layer to the the eeriness. So, in, in my generation, you could order from the Sears Robot catalog. You could order two ventriloquist dummies, Willie Talk and Charlie McCarthy. And ventriloquism was really big, and it was, we had this long playing record by Paul Winchell called "How to Do Ventriloquism Made Easy." And so, my brother ordered Willie Talk. He was my little brother, and I got Charlie McCarthy. And uh, we were trying to learn ventriloquism. But at night, when the moonlight would shine through the window, a lot of times <laughs> those dummies would scare us because they'd just be sitting there smiling. <laughs> you know, they're always smiling. And Mike would go, I'm scared. I'd say, I'll turn Willie Talk around. <laughs> he's looking at me. No, he's not. Yeah, those those things, man. I, I, I definitely would never want to have one in my house. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, Kevin, you know those dolls, like the old dolls from the Victorian era, the ones that are por- yeah. have the porcelain head? Yeah. Ah, uh, dude, yeah. keep those away from me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, is there a uh, a finish line for you? Is there, like, a legacy that you want to leave? Is there, like, a next level to your career that you want to, hey, I want to write, write more or I want to direct more? Is there... What's the next step? I want to play more and more and more of the wounded monster types. I want to play okay. Eric in the Phantom of the Opera, the original, as it was written. I want to right. do more roles like that. Um, like I just keep going back to Lon Chaney because he found the humanity in the monster. If there's anything that I want to leave behind, it's the fact that even in people that we see as monstrous, there, we're in there. There's a humanity in there. I think that's just so important for us to know. I, I mentioned Phantom because in the original Gaston LaRue novel, he was born that way. Nobody threw acid right. in his face, and it wasn't a slight disfigurement. He was a freak, and his parents sold him to a traveling carnival in the book. And he oh, wow. ends up in Persia working for a Shah as one of the favored freaks, and that's where he learns his magic. But he, he's he's a a perfect example of a wounded monster. He's a he's a society created freak, 
His parents stole him because he was too ugly and too weird. That that's who that's who Eric is. Not some beautiful music composer that got scarred in some way. I really hate that interpretation of him. He's a he's a flat out yeah. freak. Mark Savage has a uh, screenplay which he said he's close to getting money for. It's been around for a couple of years. We've been trying to get it going, and it's called Circus of Dread. And it's about okay. two brothers, and one is a, a carnival freak, and one is a criminal. And I really, really, really want to do that script because yeah, it know. involves this world of uh, freaks, just like Todd Browning's movie, 1932 Freaks, did. Sorry, it's a long answer, but that's uh, the kind yeah. of character I just want to play over and over. Yeah, that, no, those are those are usually... For me and my favorite characters, I, I need like the the layers, and I need the 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 pain, and it, yeah, it definitely um, makes for a better story, and kind of gives the the character and the story something other than oh, we don't know why he's doing this. It's just because something. I hate, that. That, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, you know, one more Phantom reference, and then I'm done. I promise. It was like when Christine rips the mask off him, it's like, damn woman, he asked you to do one thing, one thing. He gave you your career. He taught your ass to sing. You're a star. He brings you down here. He's playing a song he wrote for you, and he ain't asking you but one thing. Don't touch my mask. What you going to do? Right. You don't touch the mask. And so when, when Cheney throws her to the floor and he says, Feast your eyes, gut your soul on my accursed ugliness. In other words, this is what you wanted to see? Take a good long look. And from that point on, his humanity is completely covered in rage. That's right. that's a character that I can get into and relate to. But like yeah. you, if it's just like, well, we don't know why they do these things, they're just killing. I'm like, eh. Yeah. Um, so you have... And I can't tell the actual number, <laughs> but it seems like you have at least 15 to 20, maybe more, um, uh, films coming out. Uh, yeah, is there one right. in, in various stages of post-production. Yeah. Is there one in particular that um, you're more – excited to come out than any of the other ones? I'm, I opened my IMBD while you were talking. So I can look through here and see what's just about finished and ready to come out. Okay. I'll tell you one that just came out. Okay, two. Two. One just came out and it's, it uh, has run in Toronto and London, and I'm really looking forward to it getting wide release. Do you know um, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's work? They did The Endless, and they did Resolution. Yes. Okay, so this is a new film, Synchronic, and it's a time travel piece, um, and they had me in it. And, man, I, I really love and respect these guys' work because it's complete psychological horror. So Synchronic is one I'm really excited about coming out. And then another one called Bits. Um, the director is Edward Payson, um, and Edward is most famous, I think, for the Cohasset snuff film. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is um, it's about a haunted '90s video game, which has resurfaced in the present, and the game takes over your life. 
uh, D. Wallace is in it, and I'm in it, and um, it's a lot of fun, and it's weird, and it's going to have a lot of cool special effects. And I just popped it open, and they got a poster for it, too. Uh, we're facing bits. <laughs> yeah, and there's me and my, um, like, uh, yeah, there's me and my tidy whities on the poster. Great. <laughs> but, well, I'm the old guy who's like the, the kid who found the game. I'm his father, and all I do is sit around my trailer in my underwear and complain. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's my character. And there's D. When I saw D on the set, we had been together in a film called uh, A-Luck. We didn't have any scenes together, which came out last year. It was quite good. And I said, oh, D, you know, I said, you and Aylin. I was, too. We didn't have scenes together. And she said, um, what was I in that? And I said, you were the mother. And she said, oh, God, I'm always the mother. <laughs> so Dee and I decided that we were going to do a film where she kills me, and I hope that happens. <laughs> but yeah, those are those are two that I'm excited about. Bits, um, which will be out probably in a little while, but soon, hopefully before the end of this year, and Synchronic, which will be out pretty shortly. Okay, yeah, I have to keep a look. I um, I do remember seeing, uh, I think it's either a trailer or poster for Synchronic uh, sometime recently. So yeah, definitely. Great, Hopefully, everybody. It's a, great, it's a great take on time travel. Yeah. Yeah, and who doesn't love a good time travel movie? That's right. Um. So, man, I could we could talk all day. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't mean to go on. So, <laughs> and, uh, is there anything else you want to add? I don't want to hold you up all day. No, no, you've covered it. I just I appreciate the opportunity to talk and to have a real conversation like we just had, because it's yeah. not always like that, you know. It's just like back and forth and what you think and what I think, and no, right, I really right. enjoyed it. Well, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I will definitely be on the lookout, and I'm definitely going to go back now that I've seen some of the titles. Uh, you know, I want to go back and dive into some of these movies. I just recently saw the, um, I think I was on your YouTube page, and I saw a preview for um, Assassins, and I was like, oh, that looks really good, so I need to go watch that. Oh, yeah, man, I forgot to mention Assassins. Um, It is pretty good. It's a thriller, and I'm a killer, and there's another killer, and we're chasing each other, and it's pretty good. Yeah, it looked really good. Um, but yeah, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, everybody will, uh, you know, check out you and I think I think Three from Hell is gonna re-release. I think next week or week after. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. And then Handy Dandy, I know is coming out. Our Devil's Junction is coming out in L.A. Uh, in a few weeks, and then I believe that yeah, then then it'll be our water, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and that's definitely. Like you said, it's, it's eerie and it's a it's a fun movie, um, and yeah, man. Like I I, I kind of came into this interview uh, after watching some stuff, and I was like, he seems like a really great guy, and you know, you proved it here. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate your time, and it was nice to talk to you. Oh yeah, man. You too, and happy Halloween. No, yeah, you too. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you later. All right, man. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye.